Hey, everybody, take a seat. I have a very important announcement that I need to share with you. Very important announcement. Okay, here's what I'm saying. All right, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Now you need to stop cheering. This is more important than that. Okay, nobody take a picture and nobody tell Julie, okay, because she doesn't know yet. I'm trying to surprise her on Saturday at a wedding and I don't want her to know or see it before that, all right? Also, this is causing some problems in my marriage because I've had to avoid her until Saturday and all of my excuses are horrible, okay? So I guess I'll just, I'll just, do, I'll just do this. <laughs> If, uh, if this is your first night, I'm sorry, that's weird. <laughs> even, even Peter Pan has to grow up sometimes. You think Julie will like it? Uh, I think so too. Uh, but if any of you have any better excuses than the lies I've been feeding her all day, uh, I could really use your help because it's getting awkward. All right? Speaking of awkward, let's talk about dating, huh? Nice, okay. I want to introduce you two to the men who taught me more about dating than anybody else in this world, okay? It might be funny, but this is true, right? When I was like a teenager and I was like 18, 19, 20, I had nobody teaching me how to date or how to be in relationships, which meant everything I learned was from movies. And I would watch a movie, and I'd see Ryan Reynolds do something really funny, and I'd be like, I'm going to try that. And here's the thing, it worked, all right? And I had this, like, list in my head of, like, all these different moves, and I was trying to think of a way to describe it, and I was like, is it, is it a seduction list? Because that sounds creepy. And... My D group was like, why don't we just tell people you can spit game? And I was like, well, that sounds prideful. Uh, either way, I had this like running list in my head and it worked. It was like, all right, here's how to attract women. And here's how to get over like the fear of asking somebody on a first date. And here's how to plan and execute dates one, two, and three. And here's what happened. I got a lot of dates. Uh, but you know what else happened? I was a horrible boyfriend and I ended up hurting a lot of girls. You wanna know why? Because the skills that make you good at going on dates are not the skills that make you good at being in a relationship. Do we understand that? You know what being good at going on dates got me? Literally nothing. Although I said that to Julie the other day and she was like, um, it got you me. <laughs> but you know what it got me is a history of bad breakups, and a lot of girls that were or maybe still are really hurt that I didn't communicate and that I didn't commit and that I cared a lot more about the chase of a relationship and like the thrill of a first date than I did about like loving and serving them as my sister. So I said this last year when I preached too, if you went back and like talked to all of those girls, like if you put them all in a room and you were like, hey, what do you guys think about Micah? Do you think he should be a preacher? Uh, they would all say, um, no. I am probably the villain in a lot of people's stories and I wanna keep that away from you. I don't want that to be a part of your stories. And the fact is, I think if we're honest, most 18, 19, 20 year olds care a lot more about the skills that make you good at going on dates 
than the skills that make you good at being in a relationship and that give you the selfless and loving heart you need to be in a God-honoring relationship. And I know that might not be true of everybody, but that for sure was true of me when I was 18 or 19. And that's also like what's celebrated in dating culture nowadays too, right? You guys ever hear that like old phrase like when you went to call on a girl? Nope, too old, okay. <laughs> Maybe if you watch like Pride and Prejudice or something. Uh, nowadays, going out on dates is called going out, but way back in whatever year that was, it was called calling on a girl. And if you liked a girl, you would have to go to her house and sit in the living room with her and her parents and her little siblings and the grandma and grandpa and all the aunts and uncles, and that's how you dated. And that is a completely different skill set than going out on dates. Because when you're sitting in the living room with a mom and dad, uh, people are asking you questions about your character and like your goals in life and how you're going to get there. And they're watching how you interact with like little brothers and sisters and grandmas. Uh, think about going out on a date. What do you need to be good at to be good at going on dates? Uh, not me. You got to be adventurous and creative and witty and fun. And those are all good things. But you could be all of those things and still be a horrible boyfriend or girlfriend and a horrible husband or wife. And the fact is, like, those are the skills that are celebrated in dating nowadays, particularly when it comes to, like, dating apps, right? And whether you, like, think dating apps are good or bad, like, that ship has sailed. That is how we as a society date now, right? I think I read, like, it was something like, 50% of 18 to 29-year-olds were at some point on a dating app in 2019. I guarantee that number is like way higher after COVID. So a couple days ago, I Googled like, how are you good at dating apps? And what came up was this article by a game theorist, all right? And if you don't know what game theory is, neither did I. So let me read this to you, okay? Game theory is the branch of mathematics concerned with the analysis of strategies for dealing with competitive situations where the outcome of a participant's choice of actions depends critically on the actions of other participants. Game theory has been applied to contexts in war, business, and biology, and now dating. So let me read you the headings of this woman's article on game theory and dating, okay? Uh, number one, you have to pick the right app. Number two, you have to set a swipe strategy. Number three, you have to infer from a few pieces of information who would be a good match and worthy of a right swipe. Number four, identify cheap talk for signaling. Number five, craft a profile. Number six, highlight the attributes you're most proud of and which others find attractive. Number eight, play a pooling strategy, whatever that means. And then finally, what it really comes down to is how awesome your pictures are. Anybody stressed out hearing that? Anybody feel like you are never going to measure up and that you're never going to be beautiful enough or handsome enough or toned enough or strong enough to match what you need to be good at that sort of game theory dating? The good thing is uh, none of that matters to God, which means that none of that really matters to attracting godly people. So from a pastoral sense, I am extremely unconcerned with teaching you how to be good at dating and how to go on dates and how to make a dating app. Uh, from a friendship standpoint, I'm all about it. I love those conversations. I would love to have those conversations, but that's not actually what really matters. What I am concerned about is your relationship with others. First with God and then with your brothers and sisters, one of whom may go on to be your husband or wife. 
And wouldn't you know, the Bible has a lot to say about our relationships. So there's a dozen topics we could talk about in a dating sermon. And I've heard some really quality dating sermons that throw like 20 things at you in 30 minutes and hope that one or two of them stick. And there's a time for that. In fact, that's what we're going to do for the Q&A later at night. But for tonight's sermon, we're really going to talk about one thing. Because there's one thing that over and over again, I see kind of crash and derail what would be good and healthy relationships, all right? And that one thing is communication. Communicating with your boyfriend or girlfriend, communicating with your friends, and communicating with your disciplers and mentors, okay? Those are our three topics tonight. Communicating with your boyfriend or girlfriend, communicating with your friends, and communicating with your disciplers and mentors, And we can do all of that. We can learn all of those things through the book of Proverbs. So let me explain Proverbs to you real quick because it's a different sort of book than any other book in the Bible. Proverbs is a bunch of one-liners that give you practical help and practical wisdom for everyday problems. Practical problems that the Bible doesn't necessarily answer, like uh, how do I spend my money, and what career should I pick, and how do I know who to marry, and how will I be a good boyfriend or a girlfriend. So we're going to look at a lot of Proverbs tonight that have something to say about communication. But before we look at those, I just want to say this, like, please don't trivialize what we're reading in Proverbs today. This isn't simply good advice, and this isn't something for you to mull over and decide, "Mm, that might work for some people, but it's not going to work for me. Proverbs is wisdom, and it's God's wisdom that he desires you to know that he, through his spirit, had King Solomon and some other guys write like 3,000 years ago. Because that was the context of Proverbs. It was King Solomon writing to young men and women just like you in the royal court of Jerusalem to prepare them for adulthood, to prepare them for royalty and leadership later in life. And there's three types of people that Proverbs addresses, all right? The wise, the foolish, and the youth. So let me explain that, all right? Being wise, the wise people makes a lot of sense, right? Like you hear God's message and you respond to it. You obey it. The foolish hear God's message and disregard it. And the youth are just kind of ignorant. They're just a little dumb. They're young. They haven't heard a lot of wisdom. They don't have a lot of wisdom. So being called youth isn't an insult. Being called a fool is. But youth just means you're kind of young and you're learning wisdom and you have the opportunity to be a wise person or a fool, all right? What I want for you tonight is to be wise youth. So don't listen to the wisdom that God has for us and blow it off. Listen and respond, amen? So before we get to communication, I wanted to say this. I was struggling where to put this into the sermon, but really this is the foundation of all wisdom. Proverbs 9 Verse 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Uh, The first nine chapters in Proverbs is an introduction. It's like the longest introduction in the Bible. And this is one of the final things that King Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom begins with having the right attitude and the right heart posture towards God, knowing that you, in fact, are a fool, that you in fact need God, that you need to worship him and come lowly before him and worship his son as your savior. And really this sermon 
on practical wisdom is really geared towards people who believe that message, that believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and have given them a whole new heart and a whole new mind that really desires to live out God's commands. And if that's not you yet, that's okay. If you're considering who Jesus is, if you're trying to figure out what church is about, what Christianity is, if Jesus is worth calling Lord and Master, you're in a great place. And really, like, the principles of what we're talking about tonight, they still apply. They're still good, wise principles to live your life on. But if your foundation is in fear of God and trust and belief in his son, Jesus Christ, the principles are worthless for you. So if you're new, if you're considering Jesus, here's my charge for you tonight. I want you to listen to what the Bible has to say to us tonight about communication and relationships. And I want you to consider, I want you to hear that message and evaluate the people of God. Evaluate Christians and look at this and see like, hey, do Christians live this out? Are God's people really different than my past relationships and the relationships I grew up with? And Lord willing, that's going to be true. God's people are different, and they live out loving for God and love for people. And if that's really true, I want that to be a witness to you and a testimony to you that Jesus is who he says he is and that this is worth believing. So with that, let's get to communication in Proverbs. And the first thing we're looking at is communicating with your boyfriend or girlfriend. So thing about Proverbs is that Proverbs has more to say about how we communicate than any other topic. So let me give you just this broad overarching principle that's kind of going to guide a lot of our night tonight. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. How you speak is a life and death issue. That's why we're focusing on communication tonight. How you communicate with others is a life and death issue. And that's true in all sorts of interactions with all sorts of different people, but I want you to apply it right now to how you speak to your current crush, your current boyfriend and girlfriend, and how you will speak to future boyfriends and girlfriends. Let me give you an example of why this is important, all right? I've used this example before. I bet every single one of you can quote verbatim what a past romantic interest has said to you. And depending on the words that that person said, that's either a really life-giving memory or a really hurtful and damaging memory. You see, dating is starting to crack open some of the doors to marriage. And there's some things that God has only in marriage for us. Sex and physical intimacy isn't a door that we crack open in dating. But things get a little blurrier. The lines get blurry when we talk about emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy. Now, dating is never supposed to be like the co-intermingling of all of those things seamlessly, the way that marriage is between a husband and a wife. But when you start to date, you start to crack those doors open and start to blur those lines a little bit, which means you start to open the door to be hurt in new ways. Because it's the people who are closest to us that have the opportunity to hurt us the most, right? Like random college kid on campus who insults me doesn't carry the same weight that Julie would if she said the same thing. When you start dating, you start taking on the responsibility of loving a brother or sister of Christ in a new way. And there's a new weight to that. Your words to them matter. Your words carry life or death. Your words can truly heal people or harm them. 
Proverbs 4 says it this way. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. So, I'm like 99% certain that virtually all of you here desire to speak life and not death. And I'm pretty certain that like 99% of you have no conscious desire to speak crookedly or deviously to one another. Now, if that's not true, if you're here in the ministry because you want to lie to people and deceive them and use them for your own gain, we can have that conversation. It's just a completely different tone. But I don't think I need to convince many people here that we want to honor people and speak lovingly and truthfully to them. But that doesn't always happen, right? Even in our best intentions, we lead people on or we miscommunicate our intentions or what we're feeling or we tend to jump into relationships too fast and then have to back out, which tends to hurt people. And I know you all want to keep your heart with vigilance and speak life with each other. So the best practical application I can have for this entire sermon and when it comes to communicating lovingly to one another is this, all right? It's going to carry us through the rest of our sermon. Here it is. Awkward over-communication is better than awkward under-communication. All right? Let me repeat that. Awkward over-communication is better than awkward under-communication. And yes, I know that I don't think under-communication is a word, but it should be. And so if we started saying it here in the ministry, that would make me really happy. Here's what I mean, all right? Poor communication is hurtful. And so often we under-communicate because of selfish or sinful reasons. We're fearful to say what needs to be said, or we're self-focused, and we care more about our feelings and our anxieties and our spiraling sense of security than we do about our brother and sister. Maybe that describes you, or maybe like you're just scared of awkward conversation. But here's the thing, like dating is awkward. There's no getting around that. You are really awkward, and this person that you're macking on is really awkward, and coffee dates are really awkward. And if you're going to be awkward, shy on the side of over-communication and not under-communication. I'd rather that if we fail, which we will, we're going to swing towards over-communicating a little too much than under-communicating a little too little. Communicating your intentions and your feelings is what keeps you from unintentionally hurting others, even unintentionally speaking crookedly or deviously. And that's true when you're flirting with each other before you're dating, that's true when you're dating, and that's true if or when you break up. So if we're going to over-communicate, that means we should be able to say things like, hey, we're just friends, or hey, I want to be more than friends. Or I think this is going somewhere. Or oh, this isn't going anywhere. Or I want to marry you in two years. Or I don't want to marry you in two years. Awkwardly over-communicate with each other. Because the reason we don't usually is fear. And anytime that fear is our driving motivation, we're going to hurt people. Because loving others and selflessly giving ourselves to others is the motivation when it comes to dating, when it comes to loving our brothers and sisters. Loving and serving others means taking initiative to communicate with each other. So let me give you some examples, okay? There was a girl I was really good friends with when I was in college here. She dated a guy for 11 months longer than she wanted to because she was scared of the awkward conversation. Loving or unloving? How about the guy that flirts with a girl week after week after week with no real intention of asking her out on a date or 
you know, trying to like move towards a relationship with her, loving or unloving. I believe that your intentions are to love your brothers and sisters well and that your heart isn't to deceive anybody. But the reason that we so often hurt each other in dating is lack of communication. So the first piece of dating well means awkwardly over-communicating with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And before we move on, I just want to say this. Uh, Guys, I'm going to put the weight of this responsibility on you. The weight of starting the conversations and taking the awkwardness upon yourselves is on you. Because the weight of leadership in marriage is on husbands. Which means that in a much, much smaller sense, the weight of leading well in a relationship is on you as well. So if you are like a little awkward in conversation, if you're fearful, if you're spiraling a little bit, just assume that the girl you're thinking about is spiraling ten times harder. And a way to love her is to step into that first, all right? Also, don't ask a girl to hang out and then try and morph it into a date. And don't ask a girl to hang out and, like, go get coffee with her, okay? Like, that's just a freebie. Don't do that. Here's another way that we date well, okay? We awkwardly over-communicate with our boyfriend or girlfriend, and we awkwardly over-communicate with our friends, Let me share this with you. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I'll say it bluntly, okay? Your close friends should know everything about your dating relationship. Does that sound weird? Does that scare you? It shouldn't, but it should sober you up. Because Adam, Savannah, and I were talking about it today, and we just couldn't think of a single thing in a dating relationship that your friends shouldn't know. There are a few things and a few clarifiers in marriage that really are for a husband and wife. But when it comes to dating, your friends, your close confidants should know everything that's happening. And that doesn't mean sharing the sin struggles or the secrets that your boyfriend or your girlfriend shared with you. But it does mean that your relationship should be known and talked about. Here's another shocking statement, all right? Uh, I have never seen an isolated couple be a healthy couple. You know what I mean by that? Guy and a girl start dating and then immediately stop hanging out with their friends and just kind of like isolate off on their own. Like full honesty, every time I see that, I can immediately assume like that's not healthy. Major red flags. Doesn't mean that that couple can't become healthy, but at the moment, that's an extremely unhealthy sign in a relationship. Dating is like a team sport, however weird that sounds, okay? If you, <laughs> if you want to learn how to go on dates, watch movies, but if you want to learn how to be in a relationship, you do that in community. You should want your friend's opinions about your relationship. You should want them to tell you hard things, hard things about yourself, hard things about the person you're dating, and hard things about your interactions. You should want your friends to wound you. That's what this proverb is saying. When there's sin in your life, when there are red flags in your relationship, you don't always see that, right? It's a good friend who's gently going to rebuke you, who's gently and patiently and lovingly going to tell you the hard things that you might be ignoring or that you might not see. And one way we can help that process is by letting your close friends into your relationship and sharing what's happening with them. So my wife, Julie, and I have been married for three and a half years, which means that about four years ago is when we did our premarital counseling. And our first premarital counseling, 
Our counselor sat us down and he said, look, you can forget everything we talk about for the next couple of months if you remember this. As long as you're married in the context of community, you're going to be fine. As long as the close people in your life know the ins and out of your relationship, know what's good, know what's bad, know what you're praying for and your sin struggles, as long as you let people in on that, you're going to be fine. It's the minute that you isolate something and that the two of you attempt to hide things from your relationships and from your friends, that's the minute things are going to spiral. Same thing can be said about dating. The best thing you can do, the healthiest thing you can do in dating is to be dating in the context of your community, all right? So let me say this differently. It's a major problem when your friends don't rebuke you when they see sin in your life and sin in your relationship, In fact, it goes so far here to say that it's the actions of an enemy to tell you that everything is okay when everything isn't okay. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's actually the actions of an enemy to not rebuke you. It's your friends who love you that do. And your job is to keep your friends close enough that they know your relationship well enough so that they can rebuke you, so that they can point out sin. Invite that into your life, okay? Because I bet a lot of you have had this thought. How many of you have been like looking at your friend's relationship and be like, oh my gosh, I'm extremely concerned about that, but nobody's asked my opinion. What do I do? Love your friends well enough to not put them in that situation. Let them in, awkwardly over-communicate your relationship to them so that they can lovingly rebuke you when necessary and so that they can encourage you and affirm you when they don't have to. It's like my favorite thing in the world when people are like, hey, what do you think about my relationship? And I'm like, I think it's freaking sweet. Like, you really love Jesus and she really loves Jesus and you have awesome friends and you got disciples and you got like the same idea in life. Like, I am so for this relationship. Congratulations. I can't do that so often if you don't ask me and invite me and let me into that relationship. So let me just quickly address the second half of this, okay? Uh, Friends of dating couples. You have a responsibility from God to be involved in your dating friends' lives. Proverbs 24, 10 through 12 says this, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keep watch over your souls know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? You have a responsibility to speak up when you see sin in your community. You have a responsibility to your friends to keep them moving towards righteousness, moving towards holiness, and moving towards Christ. And there's strong warnings when you see problems and you fearfully or selfishly don't say anything. So there's a good way and a bad way to do that. I had a friend in college, a really good friend of mine, dating a girl all through college that I really didn't like and that I was extremely concerned about. And you know what I said? Uh, nothing, because it was super awkward. And so for like month after month and year after year, like this tension in me was building up and I was getting like angrier and angrier and more scared and more scared. And then eventually, like right before they got engaged, we were sitting on the couch and I was like, oh, I don't like her at all and I think you should break up. How do you think that conversation went? Not well. 
because uh, when they did get married, uh, there were two people not invited to the wedding. Me and the other guy sitting on the couch that backed me up in that moment. <laughs> okay, should I have had that conversation? Absolutely, yes. Should I have had it in a completely different way? Absolutely, yes. I should have started that conversation like two years prior when it hadn't built up into this giant catastrophe. If you guys remember a few weeks ago, Kevin was preaching on parenting and he talked about how he sees like parents sometimes just blow up in anger at their kids. And he places the blame for that on the parents and not the kid. Because he says, hey, you have allowed bad behavior and disrespect to grow and grow and grow and grow. And you should have disciplined that and stepped in long before you blew up at them. The same thing is true when we are trying to like correct and rebuke and gently love our friends when we see problems in their relationships. Start that process early. Have a sort of relationship and dialogue with your friends that those conversations are natural. And you're probably going to have to take initiative on that because we don't often step into those conversations, right? I was thinking about this. I don't think it happens at weddings anymore, but remember when people used to be like, hey, if anybody has a problem with this, like speak now or forever hold your peace? Honestly, I think we should start doing that in dating relationships. Like two people start dating and we just set a date on the calendar like, hey, four months from now, your friends and your friends are coming together and we're just going to say like, who has any problems here? Oh, I do. How much healthier would that be? We can start that if you want. Talk to me later. <laughs> okay, here's another story, all right? Julie and I, years and years ago, dated for like eight or nine months. It was mostly long distance, and then we broke up. Uh, it's a terrible story. Don't ask her about it. Uh, but then we got back together two and a half years later. And if any of you are friends with people that dated for a while and then broke up and then got back together, uh, it's really easy to see one of those people as the enemy and not trust him or her very well. Uh, Julie's friends were not a big fan of me when we got back together. And they loved her well enough to tell her that. They loved her well enough to say like, hey, we see some problems in Micah, all right? Uh, have you noticed that he's kind of cocky and kind of arrogant? And have you noticed that he's really not that family-oriented? Like, there are some red flags or some concerns here. Like, Julie, are you aware of these things and are you talking about these things? And you know what that led Julia to do? It led her to have a lot of conversations with me, a lot of conversations with her friends, and a lot of conversations with her disciplers and mentors. And that's the final piece here. We awkwardly over-communicate with our boyfriend or girlfriend. We awkwardly over-communicate with our friends. And we awkwardly over-communicate with our mentors and our disciplers. And let me give you two Proverbs back-to-back, all right? Because they say the same thing. Proverbs 11:14 says this. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. And then right after that, Proverbs 15.22 says this, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Let me ask you, who here has ever built a house? Now, those are more hands than I thought would go up, okay? I've never built a house, but if I was told, like, hey, Micah, you have to build a house, you know what I would do? Ask everybody who knows anything about building a house. I'd be talking to the plumbers and the electricians and the roofers and the framers and the foundation layers, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people involved that I'm not aware of, but I'd be going to every single one of them and being like, what am I supposed to do? I'm terrified. I've never done this before. Same thing, like Julie and I are, Lord willing, move into Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe 
as missionaries like sometime in the next year. I've never been a missionary, which means that I'm talking to every single missionary I can find and asking them questions. Like, hey, how important is it to learn language right off the bat? And how do you integrate into a culture? And hey, I've got a pretty strong personality. I've been told I've got some pretty strong leadership gifts. Can I be a strong leader and a strong personality in a second culture? And what do you do about visas? And what do you do about raising kids overseas? Because I don't know anything about it, and I really, really need to talk to people who do. Now, the number one question you're ever going to answer in life is this. Who is Jesus? But the second most important question you will ever answer is, who am I going to marry? And don't you think you should get the advice and wisdom and counsel of older people who know what they're talking about? I don't know anything about houses. I don't really know anything about being a missionary. And when I first started dating, I had no idea what it was like to be in a relationship, no idea what marriage was all about. And I desperately needed older people to advise me and counsel me and disciple me. And I'm using those words, discipleship and disciplers, intentionally, okay? Because how we think about mentors and life coaches and counselors nowadays is different than how I want you to think about discipleship. Because I've got a couple really good mentors, and I talk to them like once a month or once every three months, and we talk about like my future ideas and where I want my life to go. And I've got a counselor, and I talk to her, and I meet with her every other week, and I pay her a lot of money, and we talk about a problem, and that's about it. But my disciplers, guys like Kevin or Matt, I literally talk to them all the time. For like seven years, I've been talking to them. And, you know, my mentors might know my future ideas and vision. My counselor might know my problem. My disciples know everything about me. They know my past history. They know my strengths and my weaknesses. They know my sin struggles. They know my abilities and my passions. They know the future that Julie and I desire and the problems of getting there. They know everything about my marriage. And they've known all of those things for seven years. Week in, week out, month in, month out. And I would be a completely different, more immature, foolish person if it wasn't for them. These handful of guys that have been encouraging me and teaching me and rebuking me and cheering me on for seven years. And I unapologetically want that for you, which is why we unapologetically continue to push student ministry leadership on you guys. Because being a part of student ministry leadership in middle school or high school and college, it's primarily about your discipleship. It's primarily about hooking you up with older disciplers who are going to care about you week in and week out. You hear us talk about D groups all the time. A D group is just you and like two or three of your friends, same stage of life, same sex, that meet every single week with somebody who's a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and a little bit cooler than you. And all we want, all we want is for you to be like them. Like the only job requirement for being a D group leader I like, I talk to people that I really admire and I say, hey, like, will you hang out with these three or four people? And I just want them to be more like you. That's all I want out of this is you around older, wiser people that know everything about you, that you can over-communicate your life to them and they can over-communicate wisdom and rebuke to you. It's foolish. It's the work of a fool to not be discipled. And I know that that can be a hard thing to find sometimes, which is why we continually offer it and structure it for you. So let me give you some examples of that, all right? 
Let me introduce you to our favorite new engaged couple. Landry and Christian, all right? <laughs> now, I got permission to share this earlier, all right? Landry and Christian have been dating for like a year, year and a half or something like that. And they would both admit, and I think both their friend groups would admit, that they weren't very healthy when they started dating. You know why? Because they siloed off and kind of did their own thing and didn't let any of their friends in on it. I see a lot of nodding heads. Some people were a part of that. <laughs> and you know what happened? They had really good friends who spoke into their lives and gently rebuked them and told them, hey, this isn't okay and these are some red flags. So then they both joined D groups. And Landry is in my wife's D group. She's been in my living room like every single Wednesday for three years having these sorts of conversations. And Christian is in Dylan Williams' D group. And he's been in his living room every week for like three years. And you know what happened? They got engaged. We're all super stoked about it. We could celebrate it. And you know who's doing their premarital counseling? Dylan and Morgan Williams, Christian's D group leader. Because that's the sort of relationship we want for you all. We want you to be like, oh, who are the wise people in my life that know me really well that I want to counsel my marriage? Oh, the D group leader who's been discipling me every single week for three years. That's the sort of relationship, that's the sort of communication we want for you here, particularly when it comes to your dating relationships, because I know how fragile and difficult and hurtful those can be. That's the relationship that I hope to have with my D group, right? I got like four guys. I've been hanging out with them every week for four years. And right from the beginning, I said like, hey, I'm super committed to you. And I'm super committed to whatever girlfriends might come into your sphere. Because I want to be as intimately involved with that relationship and with your life as you'll let me be. This past weekend, I was in North Carolina for a wedding, and I was driving around with my friend Johnny. Some of you know him, and Johnny was like, hey, so what's up with the college ministry? And I was like, oh, cool, glad you asked. Well, these two just started dating, and they're awesome, and these two are dating, and they're awesome, and these two are dating, and they're not awesome. They should break up. And here's, like, this single person who's struggling, but, like, that's okay. And these people broke up, and he was like, you know, like, you know a lot about the relationships in the ministry. And I said, yeah, man, it's that important to me. Like, we as a staff, we as D group leaders, the adults in this church want to be as intimately involved in your lives as you'll allow us to be. So circle back uh, to Julie and I when we were dating, and there were a bunch of red flags, and I guess just me, not in our relationship, mostly me. <laughs> you know what she did? She came to Colorado, and she spent a lot of time with my community and my disciplers. And she lived at Kevin Wolf's house for a couple of months. And she spent a bunch of time with Matt. And she met a bunch of you. And she said, you know what? If this is who Micah chooses to surround himself with, then I think I can trust him. I think I'm ready for this. And I want that same sort of trust and security and relationship in your life. I want you to have friends that will speak into your life. I want you to have the boldness and the trust to speak into each other's life. And I want you to have disciplers and d-group leaders that will do that for you. Because when I was 18 at Montana State, I literally didn't know that adults would care about me. The oldest guy I knew when I was 18 was like 22. And he was another like youthful fool, just like me. And in fact, I was in love with a girl back then that I definitely shouldn't have been in love with, which was extremely hurtful and extremely painful. And I had nobody to counsel me, nobody to care for me, and nobody to help me think differently about that relationship. So I can think about college when I was 18, 19, and nowadays, like, I got a lot of laughs and I got some good friendships out of it, but the reality was at the time, it was extremely difficult. And I want to spare that for you. 
I want you to be wise youths and not foolish youths. I want you to overly awkward communicate with your crushes and your boyfriends and girlfriends and your friends and your disciplers. And I want you to have wise disciplers that can speak counsel and wisdom into your life when nobody else around you does. So here's where we go from here, all right? I bet there's a lot of conversations for you to have. I bet there's a lot of really affirming, encouraging, easy ones, and I bet there are going to be some hard ones as well with your crushes, your boyfriends and girlfriends, your friends and your disciples. I want you after tonight to ask people, hey, please speak into my life. Is there anything you see in me or my boyfriend or girlfriend or our relationship that you can either encourage or that you're scared of and that maybe I need you to bring this to my attention? I want you to ask people over and over again, like, hey, will you please speak into my life? Will you please be the sort of friend who faithfully and lovingly wounds me? And unapologetically, I want you to have disciplers in your life as well, which is why, like, you have that little orange sheet of paper. If that's not a part of your rhythm, if that's not a part of your life, unapologetically, go to student ministry leadership training because we want this for you. Leadership is primarily about what we have to offer you as a church, and the primary piece of that is discipleship. And there might be a harder part of this as well, right? And this is just kind of a side note, but are there past relationships that you need to go back and apologize for? Are there people that you have dated or wanted to date or that you led on that maybe God would have you ask forgiveness and apologize to? And if I can just be honest, like, please do that now before it's potentially, like, too late and too awkward to do that. Because there are plenty of girls in my past that I would love to apologize to and ask forgiveness to. And at this point, like, I'm married, and they're married, and I'm not going to, like, slide into DMs right now. And I wish that I had had the maturity and opportunity to ask forgiveness long before I was married. <laughs> all right, I don't have anything else. Well, that was... <laughs> Let's pray, all right? <laughs> uh, Father, we love you. I'm grateful for all the good, good gifts that you've given us. Um, yeah, just looking around, I'm so grateful and thankful for all the friendships I see here that you have grown in people, um, all the community groups, and just the wise youth that you have given um, this ministry in this church. And grateful for D group leaders and disciplers and adults that really, truly care about students. And I just ask that you continue to bring students and that you continue to bring adults that care about students to this ministry. Um, so, Lord, would you give us boldness to love each other well enough to rebuke each other, to admonish each other, and hopefully to encourage and affirm each other as well? Um, would we just be a ministry that's bold enough to awkwardly communicate with each other? And I just pray that that keeps us from harm and difficulty and misconceptions and miscommunications. Um, but that we're just a ministry that loves our brother and sister really, really well, and that we reflect what you have done for us, that you, Jesus, have, have saved us and given us new identities and new hearts. Um, and would that just be so resoundingly true um, and so resoundingly easy to see here in this ministry. So we love you, Jesus. We trust you. All this in your name. Amen.